It's time for Decal Download, your source for news and information from the Georgia Department of Early Care and Learning. We'll hear from Commissioner Amy M. Jacobs and special guests to give you an update on all things Decal. This is Decal Download. Downloading now. Welcome to Decal Download. This is Amy Jacobs, Commissioner at the Department of Early Care and Learning. We are missing my co-host today, Reg Griffin. He will be back soon, hopefully for our next podcast. But as they say in showbiz, the show must go on. And we have a very important topic and want to be timely in getting this information out through our podcast. Classes in Georgia's pre-K program have been closed since March due to COVID-19. Teachers and students utilize distance learning to finish out the year, and now plans are underway to reopen pre-K this fall, balancing quality learning with health and safety. There are a lot of moving pieces in this scenario, but our pre-K team has just issued guidance for reopening this fall. Joining us to talk about plans for reopening Georgia's pre-K program is Susan Adams, Deputy Commissioner for Georgia's Pre-K Program and Instructional Supports. Dr. Caitlin Dooley, Deputy Superintendent of Teaching and Learning with the Georgia Department of Education, and Sharon Foster, owner of Bell's Ferry Learning Center in Woodstock. So welcome to the podcast, ladies, and thank you for joining us. Thank you for having us. Susan, we will start with you. Uh, With so many variables in play with COVID-19, numbers are changing daily. I, I I feel like the information we receive daily just on the virus in general is changing how do you go about making plans for reopening pre-K? Yeah, it does seem like we're getting um, more information every day. We're looking at a lot of reports to try to figure out um, next steps. But our department looked closely at um, the guidance that's come out from the Georgia Department of Education and the Georgia Department of Public Health opening K-12 schools and use that as a guide as we thought about opening Georgia's pre-K. And then, of course, we're also looking at the guidance from the Centers for Disease Control and the guidance from the American Academy for Pediatrics. So we looked at all of that and then decided um, to put together a plan that um, relied on the experts and also gave some flexibility so that individual programs could determine what was best for their families that they serve and their staff at their program. So, Caitlin, our plans are aligned with DOE's Path to Recovery for K-12 schools. Can you tell us about that plan? Sure. That plan came out a few weeks ago, again, in with alignment with the Georgia Department of Public Health and also aligned with the CDC information and the American Academy of Pediatrics. We recently revised that plan as we got additional information. And as the science around the COVID-19 pandemic unfolds, we will continue to revise the plan accordingly to the science. As we go through this process of making decisions, we are finding that The plan itself needs to be flexible. We know that there's going to be um, three general scenarios, one being virtual instruction uh, or remote instruction. The other will be a hybrid model where students may come to school for part of the time. And then another will be a face-to-face or traditional model. And those decisions about which model to choose will be based on local decisions um, with 
con in conjunction with the Department of Public Health. We're also hearing a lot of dates for public schools opening this year, and parents have been surveys, you know, asking um, what their preference is. Are most school systems delaying their openings? We're still looking at all of the school systems and their plans. Many of the school systems have delayed an opening in order to, to perform professional learning with their teachers, as well as getting their um, school bus drivers and their janitorial staff up to speed on what the new protocols might be. And so we are finding that many of the school systems are going to delay their opening by a week or two weeks or as many as three. But I don't, I wouldn't say that it's um, most of the school systems at this point, because we are still awaiting for some of our school systems to come out with their plans um, many of them have already started the process of getting a task force together and getting input from their community. And now they're trying to match what the community needs with what the capacity is for their local system to offer. Right, right. There's just a lot of factors in the decision making. Completely understand that. Sharon, as a child care provider offering Georgia's pre-K program, what are your primary concerns at this point about uh, reopening Georgia pre-K? Well, my top priority, obviously, is the health and safety of both the student and my staff. So we have been following all the guidelines provided by DECAL and the CDC, and we've actually chosen to exceed them in some ways. Um, the Georgia Child Care Association has been hosting webinars to help providers throughout the crisis, and we hosted one recently with a representative of the Department of Public Health. Uh, she was Fantastic. She prevented us, presented us with a wide variety of scenarios. You know, if you have a staff member test positive or a student with a family member who tests positive, and she gave us steps to take with each one. But throughout, she kept reminding us, you know, don't take on the responsibility of making these decisions alone. Um, DPH is there to help us if and when we encounter COVID-19 in our programs. And so as providers, I just feel like it's important for us to arm ourselves with knowledge, make decisions based on facts rather than fear, and then build relationships with those professionals who can guide us through the tough situations. Absolutely. It sounds like pre-K and K-12 will be working closely with local health departments in determining community spread of COVID-19 and the best plans for reopening. Susan, is talk about the guidance that DECAL is providing as far as working with your local health department. Sure. Um, DECAL has been providing um, guidance um, since the spring um, in conjunction with the Department of Public Health um, for child care programs that have remained open if they do have a case and how to handle it. Um, and like Sharon said, I think that they've looked at each individual um, situation and, and made um, determinations about next steps. We also work with them during our summer transition program that we offer during the summer um, and um, determine what needed to happen there. Um, really what we're asking for pre-K programs to do as they think about reopening is um, to talk with their local health department if they have questions um, about their community and the spread so that they can make the best possible um, decision with the information that's most relevant um, to the area that they live, that their program's operating in. And Caitlin, is that the same type of guidance that the Georgia DOE is giving to school districts? Make sure you work in conjunction with your local health department? It is. Uh, we know that that local 
uh, Department of Health will help to conduct any kind of extra testing or make any recommendations for um, closures, quarantine, or if face-to-face uh, -face environment is still acceptable, they would make that recommendation as well. Great. They are very important in our decision-making uh, at this point, that is for sure. So Susan, let's talk about Georgia Pre-K and the three instructional models uh, that we are proposing the traditional model, a hybrid model, and full distance learning. Can you walk us through those three models that are going to be offered this school year? Those models align with um, what the Department of Ed has put out, and they're kind of on a continuum of how much time um, or how much face-to-face -face time would happen within a pre-K classroom all the way from a traditional program, which would mean that programs feel comfortable in providing um, pre-K every day. You know, children would come for the regular school day and they would report um, to that classroom every day, all the way to um, a full distance model, which would mean that there would be no in-classroom instruction. And then somewhere in the middle, we're offering a hybrid model um, that really looks at a blending of both face-to-face -face instruction and then also distance learning. As we think about those options, we're really trying to support programs and thinking about how to mitigate, mitigate the spread. And so one way is to think about in a hybrid model, you might um, reduce the number of kids that are coming every day, maybe having student cohorts that come on Mondays and Wednesdays and some that come on Tuesdays and Thursdays. That means those groups of children wouldn't interact with each other, so that's one option. There's a couple of different options. And then we're talking with parent with programs and giving them some flexibility um, to talk to us about what works with their program. I think what is the most important as we think about these models is what is it that their families need and are looking for? Um, you know, are families comfortable in coming back? Then you might look at a traditional model. Do you have families that are concerned? Um, you might look at a hybrid model. Then you also, um, in all of the models, want to think about, in addition to reducing the spread, but also making sure that you're able to still offer a high-quality um, pre-K experience. So we'll be supporting programs and teachers in developing plans, um, supporting them in how to do distance learning, um, and all of those things. So regardless, we'll still be focusing on preparing our children for kindergarten. Right. And you're also asking each pre-K class to determine the best model for them. And that is expected back to DECAL July 22nd. Is that correct? Yeah, we've put out, um, done a couple of different things. We have a toolkit that's out. We have some revised and updated pre-K operating guidelines that are posted. We did a webinar um, last Friday that's recorded and available online. And then we also posted yesterday an approval form um, where we asked for each pre-K provider um, to submit to us the model that they're being, being they're choosing to implement. That then we'll review it and we'll submit back approval so that they can begin, you know, notifying parents and really planning for reopening um, for the school year um, so that we can move forward. 
And Sharon, I know I'm going to put you on the spot um, with this next question, but how do you see yourself leaning at this time on what model you may choose? Well, actually not putting me on the spot at all because uh, <laughs> our team has been discussing these options as we've watched the K-12 districts roll out their plans. You know, we felt like, okay, we've got to be prepared for a variety of different things to come from pre-K. So um, we have three pre-K classes. Two of them are full at this time. And we feel that those parents signed up for the traditional model because there wasn't a choice when they enrolled their children. So we're going to operate those two classes on the traditional model. Uh, we've been running the summer transition program in class with some modifications, of course, um, and it's been successful. Our teachers are comfortable, you know, being at the school and, and face-to-face with the children. Um, but we also know that a change in community spread or a confirmed case in one of our classrooms could change how we deliver instruction. So we are ready to pivot on a moment's notice if traditional instruction becomes no longer possible. And then our third classroom is going to be operating on the hybrid model with morning and afternoon sessions, half the group in each. And um, I just know that there are parents who want their child to have a pre-K experience, but they're still a little bit nervous about group situations. So when you combine all of the other precautions that we're taking with a group size that's half of a traditional classroom, then that should give parents a little bit more comfort uh, to be able to let their children join the program. Right. Yeah, you've definitely thought through all that and have you already had the experience with a summer transition program. So um, that's good to hear that your parents have an option of of what model to choose. It sounds like flexibility is going to be the key uh, for this next school year for all of us. Um, especially for teachers and assistant teachers. They're going to have to be prepared to continue teaching through any circumstances this school year, whether that's in-person or virtual. Susan, can you talk a little bit about that for pre-K teachers? Sure. Um, As we think about um, distance learning for pre-K children, um, we really want to make sure that we're supporting teachers and families and in developmentally appropriate activities for young children. Um, So, you know, that means that we still want to see kids having opportunities to interact with materials, to learn through play, to have music and movement. So that means our teachers are going to have to develop um, a variety of kind of tools to make that happen. Um, There'll be some online um, learning um, through um, sessions with your teacher where you might have a virtual storytelling or a virtual interactive circle time. But then we're also preparing and asking teachers to go ahead and prepare materials to send home um, to families so they'll have those materials to use at home. And then also to prepare activities that um, kids can um, do at home easily and use real um, materials. In the spring, um, we did Georgia's Pre-K at Home, which were great um, tips and activities for parents to do at home, and those will be available. And then we also um, are working with teachers and what that looks like. So, um, you know, kids will have that opportunity to use materials at home and interact with books and things because we're planning for both of those things because we imagine that um, even our children who are not in a full distance learning program there may be a time when their program has to do a temporary closure and we want to be prepared for that too and so we're getting teachers to go ahead and uh, prepare kids that can be sent home earlier and 
then also think through and have lesson plans and activities for families to implement while children are home, and then establish those online virtual learning um, opportunities now so that families um, are prepared for that. Right, and Caitlin, I'm assuming that's the case for K-12. They're planning for in-person and virtual teachers. Many of our districts are planning for multiple scenarios. Um, ultimately, it depends on the capacity that they have within their local district and uh, what their communities want and need. So we are, um, we're not mandating a plan at this point, um, but the districts are creating plans and we are collecting those. We do find that some of our districts that have been hard hit, they are planning to just do virtual learning uh, for the for the first nine weeks, and then they will uh, reassemble and reevaluate what's going on. Some of our districts are having multiple options available for families, and then some of our um, systems are really planning forward for a face-to-face um, option. Because for many reasons, for some of our districts, they don't have an option for um, digital virtual learning. We have launched Georgia Home Classroom, which in conjunction with uh, GPB matches all of the educational programming to our grade level and content area standards. And then we've also put up in that um, Georgia Home Classroom, if you just Google Georgia Home Classroom, you'll find it. We put up a family-friendly description of the grade level standards from K through three. So if families wanted to look at what kids are expected to learn in those early grades, they can. And in some of our more remote districts, we have uh, groups of social workers and other um, individuals who've been hired through the Department of Labor going out and working directly with community organizations and faith-based organizations to reach out to families so that they have some activities that they can do at home um, in conjunction with Georgia Home Classroom. So we're we're doing a, a multi-pronged approach um, from the state level, but at the ultimately when it comes down to what's happening at the district level, we're advising that they work very closely with their communities to determine what's needed and then look at the resources that they have to match what their capacity is to what the community is asking for. Susan, talk a little bit about um, our pre-K specialists, which I think is such a huge asset to uh, Georgia's pre-K program all year round under normal circumstances, but talk about how they're going to work with uh, the local Georgia pre-K classrooms in their area to help to pre- prepare them for reopening and prepare them for whatever model it is that they choose. Yeah, our Georgia pre-K um, consultants are a huge asset to our program because we're able to have someone within the communities across the state um, to support um, the pre-K programs. Pre-K consultants have been busy um, preparing um, for the upcoming school year and developing tools and resources for teachers. Many of them have been meeting with teachers um, during the summer and um, talking about um, what your classroom may look like. They've got helpful hints on everything from sanitizing toys to um, rotating materials to kids to how to write virtual lesson plans. We're right now preparing for um meetings that will happen and trainings at the very beginning of the school year where our specialists will be doing regional um, online um, meetings um, 
based on the model. So teachers can sign up for a meeting based on the model that they're implementing and get instruct get support in how to do instruction in that model. Um, and then there'll be um, resources on our website. And the toolkit that's posted online right now, um, there are a lot of really good links to um, resources that are already available and we'll be developing additional ones. We also have our inclusion and behavioral um, support specialists that are developing um, training and tips for teachers because we also need to recognize that we have children um, that are going to be struggling with change. Many of them have been home with their families and maybe being reintroduced back to school or it may be their first time. And so um, there may be some struggles there and we want to pay attention to children's social emotional health. So we're putting those supports. And then we also wanted to um, give supports for how to engage children actively in that virtual learning and distance learning and tips for our parents about how to help kids um, pay attention and how to help kids really um, be active in their learning. So we've got a lot of um, good resources that are out there and, and more to come from our uh, specialists. What's our guidance to pre-K classes if a teacher or a student tests positive for COVID-19? So really what we um, are asking them to do is that their program, whether they're a child care um, program or school system, needs to have an established pro process that they go through a procedure. And the first thing they should be doing is calling their local health department and talking to them about what has happened. Because to Depending on the situation, they'll be able to guide you through next steps and tell you if there's additional testing that needs to happen, if children need to go home, if um, who needs to be quarantined. So your best resource is your local health department. So I want to talk a little bit about will parents notice a difference in pre-K classrooms um, this year? We put out recommendations for enhanced health and safety practices, which include things like temperature checks before entering the building hand washing throughout the day where possible. But Susan, what else can families expect um, specifically for pre-K classrooms? What's going to look different? Yeah. Um, so I think pre-K classrooms, are, we know they're going to look a little bit different this year. Um, you are going to see things like those enhanced, those enhanced um, health and safety procedures like washing your hands or health checks. But you're also going to see um, things like maybe all of the materials that you normally see in a pre-K classroom won't be available every day. Day. You might see that some centers are um, closed off and children are rotated through them. You're also going to see, see in hallways um, physical markers helping remember reminding children to physically distance. Um, so there's going to be new things. And as a parent, too, it may... It, it is probably that you're not going to be allowed to go in your child's pre-K classroom, and that's going to be hard. So we're encouraging programs to do things like recording a tour of your classroom um, so that parents can experience that. And then also to set up uh, ways to communicate to parents where they can send pictures of activities that are going on, um, and also to conference with uh, parents either by the phone or other ways so that their, their families can feel connected to that pre-K experience that their child is having. Sharon, how have things changed for your programs and what steps are you taking to make sure everyone is safe and healthy? 
well, things have changed drastically in the whole world, but also in childcare as well. Um, the list is long of precautions that we're taking. Like, I don't think we have enough time in this podcast to go through them all, but to highlight a few, um, like uh, Susan mentioned, parents and visitors are not entering our buildings, only uh, children and staff. We are giving tours by Zoom and by FaceTime. Um, we're doing the health screens at the door, temperature checks by admins wearing PPE. Um, we have removed toys and materials that can't be cleaned easily, and we're also providing individual items uh, versus sharing things such as crayons and markers and scissors and glue sticks. So um, we also took our line of defense a step further by installing UV lighting in all of our HVAC systems. That kills 99.9% .9 of the viruses and bacteria in the recirculated air in our buildings. Um, we did that in May, which, by the way, I used stable grant money for that. So thank you, DECAL, for helping with that. Um, but the bottom line is that child care providers are working tirelessly to protect the health of our students and our teachers. Um, many of us have been open throughout, putting up our best defense. And I think overall, we've done a really outstanding job of minimizing the number of COVID-19 cases in child care centers. So it's important that parents who are fearful uh, it's important that they talk with their provider about the precautions that are in place so that they can feel more comfortable that, that their children are being protected. And it's equally important for pre-K teachers, especially those who have been out since March, um, talk to your employers about the protocols that are in place to protect you so that you can feel good about coming back to your classroom. Absolutely. That's all great advice. I know that as a child care provider, you have put in a lot of additional and have a lot of additional requirements, but I've said from the beginning that um, outside of healthcare, I think child care is prepared. They're always uh, washing their hands and sanitizing and disinfecting. So um, child care has this in their routine, right? <laughs> Doing the best yeah. you can to prevent COVID-19. Susan, uh, we're hearing about plans for all grades, but what are the specific challenges we face with four-year-olds in pre-K? Yeah, so um, we have to remember with pre-K that we're talking about young children, four-year-olds, and we have to balance the health and safety regulations with what's going to be most appropriate for very young children and then decide how we move forward. So um, we've had a lot of questions about things like, will the children wear masks? Um, and that's something that um, we're encouraging programs um, to do, but we also realize that may be really challenging for four-year-olds. I imagine kids, um, I was a pre-K teacher, so um, I imagine kids with masks on their head and taking them off and leaving them in the bathroom. Um, so that may be really hard. And so programs are going to have to balance, you know, how do you help um mitigate the spread, but also be realistic about face-to-face um, -face interaction and good instruction for little children. Um, also, one of the things we're recommending is um, think about um, putting your children in smaller groups for activities and letting those activities be consistent. Um, and maybe um, those small groups, um, within those small groups, maybe children are you know they can play with each other that's so important um and then not and not as much focus on the physical dis distancing because you know once they're in that classroom together they need to be able to interact and play um one of the challenges i've heard from a lot of people is rest time and how do you spread um 
pots um, or mats out in a pre-K classroom six feet apart. Um, we hear a new recommendation that three feet apart is probably good. Um, I think you just do the best you can if you're choosing um, to have in-class instruction and um, look at how do you mitigate, how do you reduce um, those things, but also recognize that there are going to be some challenges with the environment and with four-year-olds. Same thing with distance instruction and virtual instruction. You have to be mindful of screen time and the appropriateness of that with young children. Um, so you just have to continually think about what the challenges are and then make the best decisions based on the information we have at this time and what's feasible and what works for your program and the children and families and your staff. What are they comfortable with? Right. And we know parents are going to be concerned as well and have questions. What's our message to parents who may have those health and safety concerns about their children attending pre-K this year? Well, I think Sharon's um, advice was really good. Um, we need to be communicating um, to families and to teachers um, what measures are we taking, what have we seen, what are our procedures, um, so that they can make a um good informed decision about the path they want to take for their family whether it's um, traditional coming every day or hybrid model or virtual instruction um, informing parents with the information that we have telling them about what we've done as a program um, to try to mitigate the spread what we know and so that then they can make an informed decision and feel um, good about that and then also how do you communicate with families ongoing so we're encouraging programs to think about you know um, an app a remind app um, a closed Facebook page um, a texting service so that families can continually get that information that assures them that they know what's going on, that they have a way to communicate and get the answers that they need. Right. So let's close. In closing, I'm going to ask each of you uh, your hopes for reopening Georgia's pre-K program this fall. So Sharon, I'll start with you. What are your hopes for reopening Georgia's pre-K? Well, I have to say I'm super proud of my pre-K team. They are hardworking, dedicated rock stars. And my hope is that they will do what they always do and work closely together to uh, ensure that the pre-K class of 2021 stays safe and healthy and is ready to enter kindergarten the following year. Excellent. And what about you, Caitlin, your hopes for not just Georgia's pre-K, but all of uh, Georgia's K through 12 students? Well, first and foremost, I hope that uh, our students and our educators all, of course, remain healthy and safe. Um, I also hope that we, we consistently look at what we can do for students um, and think, try to think outside the box. We've been hearing about some amazing, innovative practices that really could be a game changer for students for many years to come. Um, and, you know, with virtual learning taking hold and we've heard of some schools doing outdoor classrooms, um, we've heard of... Uh, various schedules that go into the evenings for, you know, high schoolers. We've, we've long time heard that high schoolers have a hard time waking up that early in the morning. <laughs> and so we're seeing some innovations really um, happen in a way that we think will, will forever change the face of education. And we're very hopeful that those 
will be helpful to families and helpful to students in the long run. What about you, Susan? So I echo everything that Sharon and Caitlin said. We certainly want for children and staff um, and their families um, to be um, healthy and safe. I think um, for Georgia's pre-K, I hope that we're able to provide children with the experience that pre-K is supposed to offer, which is um, children learn to love learning. They learn to um, learn that school is a safe place and a place they want to be. And and so I think um, we have a lot of people that are dedicated to making that happen. And um, I think that will become a reality, even if it looks a little bit different this year. Well, you all have provided great information on what we think things will look like for Georgia Pre-K and for K-12 through as the school year um, ramps up uh, in August. Where can providers and teachers go for more information and questions they may have, um, Susan? Sure. So the best um, place to go to is our um, DECAL um, website. And we have all the information um, about reopening of school and the supports will be there. Um, There's lots of information on the project director uh, page. And then we'll be adding more information on the teacher page. Also, um, we recommend that you pay attention to your emails, and we'll be sending out um, guidance. And then for families, we think the best resource is you should talk to the program um, that your child's enrolled at and discuss what um, model that they're using and ask any questions that you have directly to them. And Caitlin, where can families go for more information for K-12? For K-12, we have all of our information on um, if you just search uh, godot.org recovery. All of the information is on there. And uh, we are, as we speak, putting out more guidance documents related to uh, social and emotional well-being, uh, facilities, cleaning, uh, nutrition, and uh, digital learning, as well as supplemental learning. Excellent. Well, um, thank you again for joining us for our podcast. It's been um a great uh, few minutes talking to you, learning about what it's going to look like next school year for Georgia pre-K and for K-12. And I think it's going to be a great school year. It's going to look different. We're going to have to all be flexible and creative and realize that things are ever changing, but I do think it's going to be a, a great school year for our students. So thank you again for joining us. Now your questions from the water cooler. Hi. My name is Perry Walden and I work in the pre-K division here in Covington, Georgia. My question for the commissioner is, what was your favorite thing to do as a kid during the summer? Well, hey, Perry, a great question and a fun question to answer. So uh, my favorite things in the summer when I was a kid, I liked to swim. Uh, We were fortunate enough to have a a swimming pool. And so we spent a lot of days uh, in the pool in the summertime. And then I also played softball. And so um, my afternoons and weekends were spent uh, playing softball, either practicing or playing in tournaments. So those are definitely both great memories from uh, childhood and summertime and with childhood. It's time to give you a chance at winning a nice prize in the decal download quiz. We'll draw one name from all the correct answers to this question. Here's the question. Name the three instructional models proposed this year for Georgia's pre-K program. 
The question is, name the three instructional models proposed this year for Georgia's pre-K program. Email your response to decaldownload at decal.ga.gov. Thanks for playing and good luck. Thanks for tuning in to Decal Download. For more information, visit our website at decal.ga.gov. The conversation continues on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and Pinterest. Follow Commissioner Jacobs on Twitter at C-O-M-M Jacobs.